If they're really keen to convince Telegrass's admins that they're legitimate dealers, they actually will even upload video footage of themselves next to huge amounts of weed. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just, just make pot legal? I mean, wouldn't that just be the easier way? We basically save people's privacy. Smashing Security, Episode 120, Silk Road with Deliveroo, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 120. My name is Graham Cluley. You're 120? No, I'm Episode 120. <laughs> I'm Carol Terrio, just kidding. And we are joined this week by a returning guest. It's Paul Ducklin from Sophos. Hello, Duck, how are you? I am super duper, thank you. Yay for coming back on the show. Yeah, I noticed that you've already deviated from the script that I added to your script. I didn't really understand what you'd written here. What? what? <laughs> and we're joined by returning guest Paul Ducklin from Sophos, whom we have once again forced against his will to join the Smashing Security Sheep Run <laughs> by installing and using a browser created by the world's biggest peddler of online ads and tracker of keystrokes in the whole universe, the Googleplex. How do you feel about that, Duck? Uh, oh, I'm all right. I've got... I'm, <laughs> I'll remove Chrome as soon as I've done. <laughs> so, Crow, what have we got coming up on the show this week? Well, we have a good one this week. Graham, you are going to talk to us about Telegrass. Duck is going to talk to us about what we do when we sell our old devices and what we should be doing. And Crawl is going to be talking about an old hacker group. All this and more coming up on Smashing Security. Right, guys, I want you to imagine you're on your smartphone and a message like this appears. It says, hey, dear friends, in light of the heavy demand for Patrick Lemon Hayes, deliveries to the Tel Aviv area, five grams, just 500 shekels. Okay, delete. Would you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. I'd go, what accent were you trying to do? Was that like New York Jewish? Is that supposed to be Tel Aviv? Are you some kind of laid back San Francisco 1960s hippie? I'd Azerbaijani. Say, I'd say you're kind of probably a bit wasted there, Graham. I am a bit wasted because I want to talk to you about something called Telegrass. Telegrass is a community that operates through Telegram, the encrypted messaging app. And it was set up by a guy called Amos Dov Silver and is estimated to have more than 150,000 members from countries around the world. And what is it? Well, it describes itself as being like Uber, but for weed. Oh, isn't Telegram like a kind of messaging service, like a secure messaging service? Yeah, that's Telegram, but this is Telegrass, a community which operates on Telegram. But not owned by Telegram. Yeah, well, I, I imagine not, otherwise they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Now, Telegrass is somewhat innovative, right? It allows users to do a search of dealers by name and find reviews of their operations, just like Yelp if you're checking out restaurant reviews. And this has resulted, actually, in people who are dealing in pot and other drugs improving their service and product quality in order to compete with others because everyone wants to get a five-star review. And okay. on Telegrass, they even have a help-wanted channel. So if you need help in all different manners, maybe you need to... Hire a Python programmer, for instance. You go onto Telegrass, 
and you're pretty sure to be able to find one. You put up Is a little ladder. Is that to control there. the light and the heating in your grow house? In your hydroponics unit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Now... Telegrass is run like a proper normal organisation. So there are people with titles like Chief Financial Officer, Vice President for Infrastructure, Vice President of Operations, and even a spokesperson. So it's it's running in a way like a dot-com startup, you know, a technology firm. Pot is legal in many states now, certainly in the US. Uh, Yeah, and in other countries, maybe not. And certainly dealing it in many countries is uh, something which could get you a hefty prison sentence, as it can in Israel, where many of Telegrass's users are. But it's not all fun and games. There's bad stuff which happens on Telegrass as well. Sometimes people steal or they don't pay up. And some dealers have even sexually harassed their potential clients, telling them that they can pay in a different way if they don't have the shekels on them. And there's even a sexual harassment officer at Telegrass who's trying to impose standards upon the dealers so that they don't uh, suggest that people have a bit of nookie rather than paying up. Wouldn't you Um, rather have a title like anti-sexual harassment officer? (laughs) Yes. Really, really, it's a bit of an odd title, really. Yeah, if you have a complaint against this company, we'll set the sexual harassment officer on you (laughs) with a truncheon. Yeah. Well, on Telegrass, the sexual harassment officer, her name, uh, on the app at least, is Ironflower. Ooh, strong lady. She can throw people off. Sometimes it's just for a week for behaving inappropriately. Or she can even request that victims are given seven grams in compensation for any trouble that has been caused. So, you know, they've they've thought this through. You know, it's it's so, not just an amateur operation, this. So basically, people are going on there trying to buy pot. And then there's a bunch of dealers out there going, hey, buy my pot. This is how much it costs. This is the strain, whatever, whatever. And they're looking up the reviews and then they turn up on your doorstep and they give you whatever it is that you want. Right. OK. So this is sort okay. of like Silk Road. But in it's person, not using, <laughs> but with Deliveroo or yeah, exactly. Yes, at the end yes. Of it. Silk Road with Deliveroo. Right. There's our title. <laughs> now, obviously, they don't want undercover cops coming onto the system, right? So any would-be dealers are required to go through a verification process to be authorised on Telegrass. Oh, so Telegrass don't want to have undercover cops there. No, no, they don't, because yeah. that's going to upset the customers, right? That doesn't and seem so very legal, but yeah, it's true. Okay. So uh, one of the checks that they do is if you want to be a dealer, you have to upload your photo ID to the administrators, who will do a background check. They look on your Facebook account. They see if you have likes from like five years ago. They want to make sure that you've got a history rather than being a new account and make sure that everything's kosher. Oh, damn, Graham. There's no way we're getting on. (laughs) No, we wouldn't be able to join, would we? We'd be suspicious by a lack of Facebook presence. Exactly. But if they're really keen to convince Telegrass's admins that they're legitimate dealers, they actually will even upload video footage of themselves next to huge amounts of weed. (laughs) (laughs) So you like, here's me strolling through my plantation kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's what cult leaders often demand of their followers. Give me something that holds you for ransom should you ever step out of line. Okay, so people are obviously uploading this thinking it's a great idea. On the other hand, maybe it's just know your customer. Yeah. And meanwhile, meanwhile of course, the dealers themselves, they're paranoid. They don't want to sell to an undercover cop. So when a potential client contacts them via private message on Telegrass, uh, the dealer verifies the client, usually by saying, can you send us a selfie? Can you send us a photo of your identity card? Or can you send us a photo of your salary slip? And that's another way in which they verify, okay, this is a... Oh, my God. Yeah. 
This is what's going on, Carol. They don't want to be caught. Can we just just make pot legal? I mean, wouldn't that just be the easier way and basically save people's privacy? Honestly. Okay, carry on. All of this, of course, means that the administrators of Telegrass and the dealers have collected an awful lot of personal information. Yeah, no shit. About the users. (laughs) Pretty good shit, actually. And dealers. Um, Some of whom... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the dealers as well. That's right. So what could possibly go wrong with this? Nothing. I think everything went perfectly. There's no story here. Well, what could go wrong is that the group's entire database of dealers could be leaked onto the internet. (laughs) No. (laughs) Really? That can happen? And what could go wrong is an undercover agent could have infiltrated the group for nine months. (laughs) Collecting information. I guess he was feeling fairly laid back nine months. It's just like, oh, yeah, I've got to do a bit more investigating here. I mean, more fish can I nab? Last week, police arrested 42 people in Israel, the United States, Ukraine, Germany on suspicions that they were running this drug distribution online network. Amongst those arrested was Amos Dov Silver, Telegrass's founder. He was in the Ukraine allegedly having business discussions with local criminal gangs. And Telegrass, meanwhile, is suspected of selling tons and tons of drugs over the years worth hundreds of millions of shekels. It sounds to me like they're pulling that whole Facebook thing, like, hey, look, we're not dealing drugs. We're just inventing a kind of highway that people are using in the way they want to use. It's not our fault that they're doing it from countries where pot's not legal. Well, they have a very much a philosophy that everyone in the world should have access to pot. They should be able to get it yep. and it should be as easy as possible, regardless of local laws. That's their view. That's very much the philosophy of the guy who set this up. And so he's tried to make it as simple as possible uh, to do that. Now, what kind of defence they're going to use around this, I don't know. Certainly in Israel and in some other countries, it's likely that they're going to have the, the book thrown at them. Amos Silver, the founder, he is apparently now cooperating with the police. I think he's realised that may be in his best interest. And where was he when he got arrested? He was arrested in Ukraine. Now, he hasn't been back to Israel for years. He's dual citizenship. He's both American and Israeli, but he's been sort of nomadically traveling around the United States for a few years, doing interviews, talking about his basically Uber for weed operation. But he wanted to do it from the States because uh, he found it a bit more free and easy over there. And as soon as he goes to Ukraine and that's where they they nab him. I imagine even in places where it's lawful, like some states in the US, not federally, and and Canada, Uruguay, places like that, you can't just set up a website and sell it because there are taxes to be paid and there's registration to be done and there's all sorts of... It's quite complicated to comply. He must know how to do all that. I'm sure it's not just a title. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, just con- but, just con- yeah. <laughs> but just consider it's a shame they didn't have a chief privacy officer really isn't it just, just consider that they went to the effort of thinking we're going to base this on telegram we're, we're thinking encrypted messaging we're going to keep our our communication secure but at the same time they were collecting video footage photo ids I wonder how they were doing that. Were they saying, oh, just email it to us? Yeah, yeah. And, and copying, it to, copying it to a USB drive that they kept in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> I think the, the transmission was via Telegram. But then, of course, it may well have been saved in places or on cloud servers. Uh, and, yeah, and, you know, exactly. They may have copied it to their local drives as well. Well, there's no point in not keeping it, is there? If you're going to collect it, you're doing it so you can identify the person. Right. And therefore, anyone else can. If you're going to get the message and then throw it away, what's the point of collecting it. Oh, so, it'd be such a nuisance if I had to keep on videoing myself past my marijuana plantation, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
you got to drive out there, walk around with your, exactly. you know, running through your fields of pot. I think you just set up a webcam and open it up and then say, look, just find me on Showdown. So all sorts of trouble for those people, I guess, because uh, everyone's going to be quaking in their boots now. Aren't yeah, they? yeah. Well, whether you are a good guy or a bad guy, remember encryption. It does not necessarily mean that you're going to have complete operational security. You're not necessarily going to keep all your information private. You don't know what else will happen with it. And it's just extraordinary that these people who are obviously involved in criminal activity were sharing so much data, and now it's come to bite them on the bum, hasn't it? Well, it's the whole Snapchat thing all over again, isn't yeah. it? Hey, we we encrypt end to end, and people think, oh. End to end that means mm. from the very 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 beginning to the very last yeah. moment forgetting that actually they mean the other end of the network link and then the picture appears on your phone and if someone takes a picture of the picture with another telephone how are you going to control that so you're sending yeah. this to somebody so they can verify you obviously they have to have that unencrypted saved somewhere so they can look at it and that's you know so i think maybe people when they hear about these messaging systems that use the term end to end it kind of sounds like it's universal complete eternal everything encrypted um forgetting about the fact that you had to see it at your end and the other guy sees it at the other end what do you not understand about that bit about seeing it yeah Mm. and from the Telegraph's point of view, of course, maybe a lot of people now will lose confidence in Telegraph and be nervous that their information may soon fall into the hands of the authorities, which means that if you are after five grams of Patrick Lemon Hayes or whatever the the hot substance is in Tel Aviv right now, you're going to have to look elsewhere, aren't you? I wonder if well, there'll be other criminals operating similar networks and taking advantage of the internet and technology To make this as smooth an operation as apparently Telegraph was until it came undone. I'm just thinking, I mean, the guy was there for nine months stalking this group, right? So I'm sure things, you know, came to light during that time. But I imagine many of the people would have loaded up, (laughs) loaded up, like maybe not their passport numbers, you know what I mean? You, you'd you want to obfuscate your character and you'd have an online character that may be different from your real physical character. I'm going to be amazed if people actually went forward with all their you know, really? proprietary information. Well, yeah. I feel sorry for the people whose IDs have already been ripped off in a previous data breach that was yeah. now uploaded exactly. here. So, so that, you know, who knows <laughs> what people are in the database because you imagine it's not going to be the pe- people who are buying weed online. Although, if, yeah. although it, if it's delivered to your house... It's just it's all LinkedIn quite users. Hard. This is all LinkedIn data that's been uploaded to Telegraph. <laughs> So all the photographs of people in their suits with their ties done up really tightly. Graham, what sparked your interest in this story? So are you deliberately putting these little terms yes. in that sparked? Yes, <laughs> clever. you're welcome. Duck, what's your story for us this week? Well, my story is based on something we wrote on Naked Security with the uh, imaginative title, You Left What? on that USB drive. Now, this comes about, it was a survey done by the University of Hertfordshire that bought up a whole load of USB keys from kind of what you might call public sources. So they went to eBay, people are selling off old stuff, and they just bought up devices, which is very much like a project I was involved in when I was working at Sophos in Australia. This is now about eight years ago. We went to the New South Wales Railway Company's lost property auction and bought up a bunch of USB keys. And we were interested to see what was on there. And as you can imagine, the answer is quite a lot that you shouldn't have let out. Um, 
Oh, it's not funny, man. I, I think everyone has a bunch of these USBs lying around with personal stuff. I just, well, you know what, Carol? There was someone who commented on our site saying, you know, it kind of seems a pity that what everyone's saying is when you're done with a USB key, just, you know, put it in a vice and do it up and crush it to bits and just let mm. the dust drop to the floor and be done with it. And that's obviously a great way to deal with it. No one's going to get the data off. You don't have to worry about it. Who wants a 256 megabyte USB stick anyway? And this mm. lady Samantha said, you know, it kind of seems very wasteful and very ungreen, which was the angle that I took all those years ago when people were saying, we can't believe that New South Wales State Rail, as it was then, that, they, that they're that they selling the stuff off. This is a violation of people's privacy. You're saying, mm. so they should waste this stuff, like, because people can't be bothered to look after their own data properly. And eventually, you know, with the, the, the Privacy Commissioner in New South Wales decided it is actually too hard, it's too expensive, it takes too long to wipe a usb key and who knows if it even worked correctly because of the way right. writing to usb devices ssd devices storage works that they're not valuable enough that it would cost us too much to sell them i'm really sorry we're going to they're basically going to get shredded and turned into dust and distributed back to the universe and it, it does seem kind of wasteful i love old usb keys because when i want to wipe them after every time i've used them the smaller they are the faster they wipe and i don't normally (laughs) need to fill them up but we're in this sad thing that it's almost like making these devices kind of disposable and wasteful and ungreen and unenvironmentally friendly sadly that's the right thing to do from a privacy point of view because it's the one way you don't have to worry about what you might have left on them whether you thought it was encrypted or not. Um, so let's just imagine there's someone listening right now who's got a handful of USBs in his hand going, oh God, I don't even know how to wipe these. What steps would you, where would you tell them to go? Well, the first, Graham and I have had discussions about this in the past. What I'm about to say now, it's not relevant to USB keys, saying he is allowed to laugh. But the first thing you should do <laughs> is, you see how times change, Graham. Go out and, first thing to do is go out and buy yourself a Mac. Hallelujah. It's been years, Carol. It's been years. I I ran I ran Linux on my work computer for very many years until I got a Mac and then after five minutes I thought, what have I been doing all this time? Now the reason it I'm sounds suggesting sounds like a rather expensive way of no. wiping okay. a USB drive. What, <laughs> what, I, Spend a what I mean quid. is if you have a Mac it's kind of easy. <laughs> right, okay. It's easy with a Mac. All right. Well if you have a Mac, the command you want is disk util space zero disk and that's a way that you can basically write zeros over an entire device it's it's quite slow but you can leave it running in the background and then it will offer you the chance to reinitialize it and whatnot if you want mm-hmm. to or if you're just going to put it back in your own drawer in case you need it later i once i've finished using one for a temporary purpose i'll wipe it i'll wait for that to happen then i figure if i do lose it or someone steals it or i need to hand it to somebody else yeah i'm handing them something that i'm pretty certain is blank and i I don't have to worry about it. And the other thing, the other reason I'm suggesting a Mac, you can do this. It's easy enough on Linux or the BSDs. You can do it on Windows, although you might have to upgrade to the Windows 10 Pro. But at least on a Mac, when you put in a blank USB device, it will come up and say, do you want to format it and prepare it for use? And when you do, it'll say, do you want to encrypt it? Mm. And you can actually format it using the Apple filing system, the new Apple filing system. You can format it so that it's encrypted from the start put in a passphrase you get a recovery key which you can print out and lock away if you really want to and that means that then if you do lose it somebody who hasn't got the key to them it's just the data is just so much shredded cabbage 
But hang on, a lot of people use USB sticks in order to give a file, like a presentation or a Word document, to someone else, right? Yes. It's like I, I, when I go and give a talk, people say, "Oh, can we load your presentation onto our computer?" It's like, so okay, here's a voice, USB. Those people paying you money. They do. Nothing wrong with that voice. Anyway, and so and but so you give that to them. If it, if it's encrypted, Doug, how are they yeah. going to access? I'm it? talking about that's for storage, storing your right. stuff. What I do is, and I actually keep some old USB sticks that have a low capacity. As I said, they mm -hmm. wipe fast, mm -hmm. and I keep a blank one lying around in in the little bag I carry around with my stuff. And if I get somewhere I need to share data with somebody, and I can't do it via some electronic means like airdrop or something yeah. on from mac to a phone or whatever then i basically will take out one of the usb keys that i know i've got blank i'll plug it in my mac will say this key is un unusable on this computer do you want to prepare it for use and then i will format it and i'll format it unencrypted i'll put that one file on it i'll hand it to them let them use it and when they give it back i'll go through the wiping process again uh, because eight years ago when we did this experiment with the new south wales state rail auction usb keys two-thirds of them had malware on them and yeah. not one of them had any encrypted files so nobody had bothered to encrypt them so when i get the key back from somebody else if they've had malware on their computer i know that happened to you once didn't it graham at an rsa conference yes it you did, handed yeah. them the key they plugged mm. it in or you <laughs> they gave you the key you plugged it to your computer at your mac and bloop, windows virus thanks very much um for you <laughs> yeah so when you wonder how many other presenters i was exactly. speaking at an event last week and i got an email saying thank you you're one of 700 speakers so if they were passing a usb key around there was a lot that could have gone wrong i, I used my own computer so that didn't come about but generally when i get the key back from somebody i'll then put it in and immediately wipe it won't use any of the files off it and uh, then just put it back in my bag blank. That way, if someone does run off with it or someone says, hey, can I borrow a USB stick? I'll just give them that one. It's If it's old, uh, relatively low capacity. To be honest, I gave it to them blank. If they never give it back to me, I'm not going to burst into tears. So I just that's what I do with my old USB keys. I keep them around as kind of semi-expendables. You must be pretty flush, Duck. You must be making a lot of cash over there at yeah, Sophos. I've got several, several dollars kind of a month. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the way I make money, Graham, is that when I do presentations, I don't, um, you know, use use a funny voice when I'm talking about the people who've um, very kindly invited me to present. I found that 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 pays for several USB keys a decade. Um, just, 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 just saying. Just FYFI, Graham. Carol, <laughs> what have you got for us this week? You guys have been around in the cyber biz for a long time, right? Like way, way longer than me. Did you just use cyber as a noun? <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, it was an adjective. I appreciate it. The cyber biz. Yeah. Okay, just check. That's yeah. okay. Just so check welcome it. to the old, old school quiz game. Are you guys ready? Oh, okay. Question number one. What does 31337 stand for? It's the back orifice port. Well, <laughs> one three 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 seven. It has an acronym that it stands for, doesn't it? Three leet man. Three leet. And uh, when was it invented? Do you have a any idea on timing? Two thousand and no earlier than that. Two thousand one. I'm going to say ninety eight. It'll be around the time that we started getting te, <laughs> and 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 prom. 
for uh, porn. Well, it's actually earlier than that. It's in the 80s, apparently. And who invented it? Oh. Any ideas? It, it, was it that guy who hacked Prince Philip? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me it was. Oh, Shafri. Yeah. Cult of the Dead Cow. I thought oh. you guys would get that one. In the 80s, I didn't know they were that, they'd been going that long. I thought they were more of a late 90s, early yeah, 2K that's thing. What I thought as well. Very interesting you say that because I think that's when they, you know, we started paying to, attention to them as in our industry. Right. So Cult of the Dead Cow formed in 1984. This is the year Frankie went to Hollywood and told the world to relax. Cindy Lauper told him that girls just wanted to have fun. And Wham's George Michael just wanted to be woken up before he go-goed. <laughs> Wasn't there a book about that? About 1984. <laughs> yeah, there was. Documentary. I, I don't know if many people have heard of it. Uh, now, in the late 80s, this cult of the dead cow, also known as CDC, basically organized and maintained yeah. a loose collective affiliated bulletin board systems, or BBSs, across the US and Canada. And these bulletin boards are kind of like a geeky Reddit or Facebook of its day, an online discussion forum that allowed people to connect electronically. Did you guys use BBSs? Absolutely. Of yes. course you did. Of course you guys did. I want to hear Graham make a modem noise. <laughs> did you do anything naughty on it ever? Of course not. I once got acoustically coupled with Gwyneth Acoustically Paltrow, coupled? But other than that, no, she got, <laughs> she got consciously uncoupled, didn't she, from Chris Martin. Anyway, no, I didn't do anything naughty. I did used to log into bulletin boards and things like that back in... Co- acoustic there. couplers are a thing. So instead of connecting directly to the modem, you actually... Yes. The, the, the modem actually played the noises and your phone listened to the noise and played it down the line. And this was the thing, of course, because if you were living in a house which only had one phone line, if you yeah. were on the internet... Other people would pick up the phone to ring Auntie Marge yeah. and they'd just be hearing, <laughs> they'd say, get off the phone, you know. The CDC, or the Cult of the Dead Cow, also published an underground e-zine in the late 80s. They also claimed to have t- invented the term hacktivism, which is, you know, describing human rights-driven security work or security, quote, unquote. So this is all in the 80s now, and this is all going to become very relevant in a second. Now, from the 90s onwards, the CDC started releasing tools, right, both for hackers and system administrators and for the general public. Now, were these were the CDC bad guys or were these just people just playing around with computers? Well, I think we would have seen them as bad guys. So these guys are the guys behind Back Orifice, which we certainly saw as malware. Yes, that was a tool for remotely accessing computers, wasn't it? Which could be used for naughty purposes. And it was probably being adopted by malware authors, yeah. The features Mm. in it were clearly there because it was like, ha, 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 look at how smarty pants we are. Like it had a button where you could remotely eject the CD drive or you could swap the mouse buttons around. Like, why would you need to do that? But it was this attempt to create tools that were, you know, I suppose like like a, a firearm or something it's kind of it's just technology and it's kind of morally neutral on its own and it's what you use it for to be honest i always found the cult of the dead cow always one of the guys was called sadistic wasn't he yes, um, yes. he's the guy who did back orifice i always found it rather childish rather than criminal it was just like guys who had maybe needed to grow up a bit well, it's very interesting you say that because you're Yeah, one of them has, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Just last week on Friday, Reuters issued a rather explosive article saying that popular Texas Democrat and 2020 presidential candidate 
Beto O'Rourke was once a member of the CDC. That's a cool name. Yeah, no, Beto, it's a cool man. name. It's I cool love it. I'd vote for him on that name alone. <laughs> well, let's see after I tell you a few things, if you would, because it'd be really interesting. Now, this is not someone um, daubing him in. He's kind of coming clean about his membership to the CDC way back then. Now, a few things he reportedly admitted to doing whilst in the CDC or a cult of the dead cow. CDC sounds like some... Uh, Centre of Disease say. Control. Yes, yeah, Centre of Disease Control. Yeah. So he avoided big phone bills because, of course, he was doing mobile dial-up, right? So he admits to stealing internet at the time. And savvy teens, like you guys were talking about, like savvy teens learn techniques to get around the modem, you know, charges, right? Such as phone uh, phone company credit card numbers, getting those and uh, having the five-digit calling codes to place free calls. Um because it cost a bomb, didn't it? Like, you know, look, these calls, would you'd get hundreds of dollars oh, yeah. at the end. Did you guys, you're old fogies, did you guys get any horrendous modem bills? Oh, yeah. It used to get a huge, it used to cost a huge amount here in the UK to, to get on the internet. But I remember, I think in the United States, there were reports that people could get local dial-up access very, very cheap or even maybe free under some plans. That, yeah. that certainly didn't happen here in the UK. You, you paid through the nose to get on the internet. Yeah, because we did have local calls were free. but So you'd have to guess if you were in a big city, it would probably work well for you. But if you were in the country, it wouldn't, yeah. Right. Or if you wanted to connect to somebody's bulletin board interstate. Ah. So, mm-hmm. you know, the bulletin board operators would try and exchange stuff. And in many cases, they just mail floppy disks to one another with like collections of software on. And then the other guy would upload it to avoid the, the toll charges. But if you decided, if you were sitting in the UK and you decided, oh, I want to dial up this US bulletin board because that's where all the cool stuff is and it hasn't got over the pond yet, then you had little choice but to dial up at what would you get? 300 bits per second. Um, at international <laughs> rates. Yeah, it could add up pretty quickly. Yeah. Beto was, you know, admitted to stealing modem connections or, you know, basically you know, ripping off the phone companies. Um, and he also admits uh, to scouring the BBSs for pirated games so he could play them for free. He and his friends in the group. Now, he quit the cult of the dead cow at age 18. This was the year he enrolled into Columbia University, 1991. And as you alluded to, Doc, the 80s seemed really to be more about e-zines. And about, yeah, yeah. So Beto was quoted in the Reuters article as saying, there's just this profound value in being able to be a part of the system and look at it critically and have fun while you're doing it. I think the cult of the dead cow is a great example of that, unquote. Now, it's an interesting thing to say, don't you think, for someone who's, you know, who's a presidential candidate. It's like he's trying to appeal to like Mr. Robot lovers out there. Or does he just want all of his skeletons out of the closet? He wouldn't be the first presidential candidate linked potentially to hacking, however, would he? <laughs> I mean, maybe this is something which... Could, yeah. Actually, maybe he's got better credentials than uh, maybe someone else who's been accused of it. What I was surprised to hear is that he seems to think that this is a great education into understanding modern computer systems and cybersecurity. That's what worries me, is that I think he's, it sounds like he's got this idea that it's all like it was in the 1980s with modems going, Graham did a... (laughs) So I think he'd say, yeah, we've moved on and I've moved on and I think I've got bigger things to worry about now. That's what I'd want to hear him saying. Very, you're absolutely right, because his attitudes seem to have changed slightly following the Twitter storm that ensued upon Reuters, you know, publishing um, this article. 
<laughs> he said, it was something I was part of as a teenager, referring to uh, the cult of the dead cow, not anything I am proud of today. So that's exactly what you want to hear. He was just a bit late at saying that. And I heard there's there's also been some fallout uh, against the newspaper because they're saying, well, why did the journalists keep this quiet until after the election um, back in November? Well, yes, because this is all an excerpt from an upcoming book mm-hmm. called Call to the Dead Cow. So I was thinking exactly the same thing. This journalist has been working on this for some time and hasn't brought it up until now. Now, the, the book is scheduled to be published in June. He's made a lot of cash. And you're right. It's a bit interesting that he's waited and whether that was the ethical thing to do. Well, my, my understanding is that uh, Joseph Men, who's the journalist, he wasn't able to get anyone to confirm on the record as to whether Beto was the guy who used to be in the cult of Dead Cow until the election had already passed. Well, good so for he, them, I think. You know, so a, yeah. no one was prepared to talk. And so he kind of did a deal and said, look, after the election, will you let me interview you about it's this? It's a little bit like when someone finds a bug and then they kind of hold on to it for the highest bidder. And you think, I wish you hadn't done that, but I kind of can't, given that bugs now have a value and you're allowed to sell them on the open or the private market, I can't really blame you for it. You know, if the journal went too early, then he'd burn his book. And But now maybe he figured, oh, golly, like if someone scoops me to this news before my book comes out in June, I'll undermine myself. So I had to pick the right time. I guess he's allowed to do that, isn't he? Well, it's like Roger Stone, right? He's putting out a book now. Now that he's going to, you know, he's facing prison time, which is really, you know, it's crazy. The whole the way people but are using books. At the moment. Is this really the worst thing in the world, though, that he used to be in the cult of the dead cow? Is this something really for people no. to get upset about? Because it seems to me the typical politician would have done much worse things during their teenage years, like get dressed up in a KKK outfit or blackface themselves up or who knows. What, he's not a running for the, president. Being a Thank member God. of the Bullenden Club. Well, whatever yeah. it is, you know, those are sort of things which people often will get outraged about it sounds like this is a a group which didn't really do that much and yes so he may know more about computing than the typical politician which, which I may think be is no a good bad thing, thing. yeah, yeah exactly. you know i mean no, understanding technology is one of those things that you do want policymakers and politicians to understand better i certainly do so i don't think uh, beto o'rourke is like the new julian assange either right can you imagine him running for president i mean he <laughs> Oh, well, he's welcome. Uh, he's welcome to travel to the United States to register <laughs> his interest. Um, yeah, but we were, under- we're we eagerly await his understanding arrival. Understanding is that he was born in the Commonwealth of Australia, and therefore he is mm. ineligible to be president of the United States of America. Yes, by constitutional affirmation or something. Just like Schwarzenegger. So, yeah. It, well, not exactly the same. Uh, oh, Australia. Uh, <laughs> Austria. Yeah, they're they're close, easily close. mixed up. Um. <laughs> if you're baffled by threat intelligence and how it might be able to help secure your company, the Threat Intelligence Handbook from Recorded Future is the book for you. It'll tell you what threat intelligence is and what it isn't, and you'll learn how other firms are applying threat intelligence inside their organisations. Grab it now for free at smashingsecurity.com slash intelligence. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Do I have to do that as well? Doug. Say it in that funny voice. How many in times any voice you like. Pick of the Week. Beautiful. 
Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. It should not be. Now, my Pick of the Week this week is a documentary, uh, which you can watch in a number of places. I watched it on Netflix, and it is a documentary called Behind the Curve. And this documentary is about people who believe that the Earth, which we're all living on, is flat. Not all of us. Some well, of us... Are... What, not all of us on the show? How do you know you don't have listeners on the International Space Station? Be nice. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Get in touch if you are. <laughs> so this is a documentary which takes us behind the scenes of the apparently growing flat Earth community. The internet has put these people in touch with each other and they are preparing during the course of the documentary for their first ever Flat Earth International Conference. Okay. Can you explain to me yes. how someone can be a flat earther? Do they they literally believe this or is this some kind of metaphysical conceptual oh, no, they, thing? They, they really believe it. They believe. They think there's an edge. They believe that there is an edge and that basically there's a great big dome and uh, surrounding the edge. So the, like, the circumference is basically Antarctica. So there's a great big wall of ice where you can't get past any further. And then there's this sort of hemispherical dome above us. And so things like the sun and the moon are, and the stars are sort of projected onto the dome. For what reason? We know not. Do they have what. a single, uh, what do you call it, cosmological view? I mean, does the Earth have to be flat like a disc and round with Antarctica at their edge? Or could it just be maybe like a kind of flattish, bulgy pancake that's a bit thicker in the middle and you kind of like a so biscuit. there is an underside <laughs> which is say where australia is and uh you know you so there isn't it doesn't have to be an edge does there but it could be quite so, well flat. In, in the documentary uh, there's no sort of underneath as it were there's no sort of i mean australia is there but obviously the map of the world is slightly different than what we may be familiar so you could with. fall off technically um, well no because you're inside the dome think of the truman yeah. show that's that's basically the. I'm principle. pretty sure they're, in the Truman Show, in the end, he opens a little hatch and goes outside. He does, and they would love to do that yeah, as and well. And then, then what happens? The do you go side. up or down? Well, some people believe that the, the world is then repeated, oh. and so rather like parallel yeah. universe, you know, all these different universes, you you enter another ice zone, which ultimately becomes another flat world. But but the, you, it will surprise you to hear that there are counter theories and there are schisms inside the flat Earth community. And some of them do not like the other flat Earthers. Now, one of the stars of this documentary is a woman uh, who runs a YouTube channel. Her name is Patricia Steer. And she has been accused by some of the other flat Earthers of being a CIA operative who is uh, giving what they believe not to be the true flat earth message now she's put a slight bend in the message one one <laughs> one of one of the accusations against her by these people is that they can tell she's a CIA operative who is steering people in a particular way because her surname is steer and the last three letters of her name, Patricia, are CIA. So these are oh, so, so clever. So it's, clever. It's genius, isn't yes. it? It's there all along. To these guys are now, it's easy when you watch the trailer to think this is just a documentary taking the mickey out of these people and their beliefs. Uh, and the trailer doesn't really give a, a, an accurate view. There is some comedy in, in the 
documentary and you you do chuckle you've at some of these in, things. You've bought in, haven't you? No, 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 I haven't. But well, what you I sound really, very sympathetic. What I liked about the documentary is it does make something of a compelling case for empathy and dialogue with people who hold vastly different views from yourself. And rather than ridiculing these people, it does discuss the importance of actually communicating with them. I just suppose you could be, you could, I mean, maybe you don't think it's completely flat. Maybe it sort of bends off at the edges. Maybe it's more like a very, very, very long rugby ball or something. I don't know. But I suppose that you could think that the earth is flat and still travel around it and you know contribute decently and you could still think that it's a bad idea to pollute the earth and waste its resources and be cruel to people and shoot animals for no reason all that stuff so you know maybe it's not all bad um they think all the images from space are faked well it always shows oh, yes, a circle that, that's to that's be fair. all that's that's <laughs> well that's, that's all faked that's all faked you can't trust that they didn't go up there, and um, apparently the, the claim is that in the 50s, the Americans were putting up lots of sort of nuclear weapons into the atmosphere, trying to burst through the dome, and they didn't succeed. And, uh, yeah, all of that apparently oh, is faked. They do some scientific tests to try and prove that it is flat during the course of the documentary, and they fail. Uh, but the justification which they give for it, because they won't accept that their scientific tests are failing, and they say, well, we have to do more tests because something must have gone wrong, because they're so, so tied. Who's funding the, all this? I suppose they are. That I mean, would be an interesting question. Well, but hmm. I, uh, the, Anyway, the reason why Behind the Curve is my pick of the week is because I think it sends us an important message about how we can communicate with people who have different points of view. After all, the world is becoming more polarised, isn't it? What has happened to you? This is the first This is the first week you've ever talked about empathy in your life. You are probably the person who has you? the least amount How of empathy you? of anyone in my circle of friends. Do you not agree with that? So you've had a revelation. This is an epiphany moment for you. Okay, <laughs> good. Charming, charming. Duck, what's your pick of the week? Well, I want to keep it a little bit scientific. Last uh, and have a bit of a laugh. Last Friday, oh yes, um, was was. I've been looking forward to that. <laughs> Did I hear you mention the word empathy earlier? <laughs> Does empathy mean when you take when you take the piss out of somebody as long as you giggle a little bit, that makes it okay? Yes, does we're it? on a funny show. That's what we do. Oh, you're taking his side? No, I'm taking your side. I'm on your side, Duck. Tell me about Google. <laughs> okay. What's the about? Oh, well, yeah, Google did come into this. Um, last Friday was 3.14 in American notation because they got this weird way of doing dates where they go month, day, year, so that it, they're com- it's completely illogical and it sorts very badly. Um, yeah, three. It's it's a bad way of doing it, but I can live with it. In the UK, it should really be the twenty second of uh, July, shouldn't it? Twenty two seven. Well, or the three hundred and fifty fifth of the one hundred and thirteenth <laughs> month. You can. So it's a bit of a joke that three dot one four is Pi Day. Mm-hmm. Three point one four being approximately Pi, and so there, there's a chance for a lot of fun coming out in that as graham said well what if it was 22 7 because 22 over 7 is kind of approximately pi unfortunately some people think it is pi and of course that's a problem you can never 
it's one of those things where no matter how hard you can try, you can never get there. But uh, a Googler apparently used Google's cloud to compute Pi to the most decimal digits ever. And they delayed their announcement and their verification until Pi Day. And they computed 10 times Pi times 1 trillion digits. Wow. So 31 trillion <laughs> 400 billion digits of Pi um, for no reason other than they could could you read out those digits for us doug <laughs> these trillion numbers just to 3.1417 15 actually i did i did write a little uh, a little article on naked security which i entitled serious security it's an occasional serious series i do where we try and get people to see some you know take something that's apparently quite light-hearted but see the serious side in it the message that you can take out of this is that the thing with pi is no matter how hard you try you'll never actually compute it because it's what's called an irrational number it never you can't create a fraction that uniquely determines it and you don't need to because you can perform mathematical operations by just calling it pi and working with it and so if you are a computer programmer be very very careful about taking things which are inherently approximations like floating point numbers that represent a value and then presenting them to the world as though they were exact results because therein lies inaccuracy and crazy answers all right it's very good point very serious nothing wrong with being serious we learned something a very empathetic response (laughs) crim yeah i noticed that You know what you guys can do with your empathy? (laughs) (laughs) Crow, what's your pick of the week? So I like to draw. Well, I like to doodle, really, right? Mm -hmm. And I have no formal training at drawing or doodling. And someone recently asked me to draw a box, like a cube thing, and I did, and it was horrific. So I scoured the web, and I found this about 10 seconds, this website called drawbox.com. <laughs> and Drawbox provides some great free tutorials on the basics of drawing. I found this guy's approach to videos and tutorials really refreshing. There's no real ad or sales pitch. You know, basically, you never see them. You just see the paper and you see the lessons. And after following a few of lessons, I can draw a pretty darn good box. One of the exercises now that I'm facing is trying to draw 250 boxes. <laughs> That's a lot of boxes. I've done about 50. I'm not sure I'll ever finish, but it doesn't matter because now I can draw a pretty darn good box. And these aren't all cubes. No, no, they're they're not perfect cubes. So you can do them with one, two or three perspectives. See, these are things I now understand how to do. Mm. And it's kind of cool. It's just a good way. You know, there's people that go out there and they buy these little coloring books, meditated coloring books. Don't do that. Just go to draw a box and learn an actual skill. You can draw in already. She says empathetically. Can you, can I ask you, can you draw a sphere? <laughs> yes. I, well, I've been, I've been working on hatching recently. Oh, I right? love a bit of hatching. So may I, can, let me ask you a question. So you, mm-hmm. you draw a sphere and there it is. Nice sphere. It's, it's round. It's a globe, right? But, <laughs> I know where you're going because I know but, you so well. Uh, answer me this. Answer me this. <laughs> Is it flat it's, or is it, it not? Is, it is not flat if I do bright shading. If I do bad shading, it looks like a scribble. But when you cut it out with a pair of scissors, is it oh actually God, right. turn into a you're ball? You're right. I've changed sides. <laughs> and like does it have ice all around it? You might have to leave it in the freezer for a while for that. Well, that... 
Thank you. So that's drawabox.com. Yeah, because it's a good way to learn a new skill. A great pick of the week there. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Duck, I'm sure lots of listeners would love to hear more uh, <laughs> more of Pi to various... Digits dis- of yes. Pi. So how should people follow you online? What's the best way to do that? The best way is Twitter, at DuckBlog. Fantastic. Word. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And you can continue the discussion with us about the show on Reddit. Uh, quickest way to find us up there is to go to smashinsecurity.com slash Reddit. And high fives to this week's Smashing Security sponsor, Recorded Future. Its support helps us give you this show for free. And fist bumps to all of you, our wonderful listeners. If you like what you hear and you want to help us grow, leave us a review. It really, really helps. Until next week. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. You guys swapped her roles. Aha, uh-huh, sometimes we do. Ooh. Crazy. Okay, what do you know pi to? Me, I don't know that many. Come on. I could do three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight. It's pretty good, isn't it? Three point one four one five nine seven two, or whatever. Read that off my calculator. <laughs>